from working in a warehouse in Toronto to becoming an Alberta documentary filmmaker with a sold-out premiere. Kian K2 Simone joins me tonight to, I guess, explain his meteoric rise to successful documentarian. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. the very unique things we do here at Rebel News is that we often don't hire people with journalism backgrounds, but we hire people with a certain skill set, but more importantly, a certain work ethic and a certain mindset. Do you believe in freedom? Do you believe in tolerating other viewpoints? And do you believe so often in fighting for the little guy and telling their stories when everybody else seems to be lying about them. And that is exactly what my friend and colleague, Kian K2 Simone, has done in his brand new documentary movie. It's called Trucker Rebellion, the story of the Coots blockade and the very first showing happening Thursday, May 26th at Canyon Meadows Cinema in Calgary is already completely sold out. Actually, if you want to get your tickets for the second showing, because there was such intense demand for the opportunity for people to see this documentary in person, we had to bring in a second showing. You can get your tickets at truckerdocumentary.com. Now, I wanted to have Keen on the show because his story is so incredible. He recently graduated from film school. He had, unbeknownst to him, gone to school with some of the people who are already working at Rebel News, and he just couldn't take what was happening in Ontario with regard to the lockdown. So he somehow, well, not somehow, but he got a job with us, packed his bags, moved to Calgary like that. He just made these this life-changing decision. And since then, he's been telling the stories of the normal people being hurt by the lockdown and the people who stood up and resisted the lockdown, like Pastor Art Pulowski and like the truckers who blockaded the border at Coots. So he joins me tonight to talk about his trucker documentary, but he also joins me tonight to discuss his other documentary project. It's a documentary series that he's created with Rebel News UK correspondent Lewis Brackpool, wherein they expose the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. So please enjoy this interview I recorded with my friend and colleague, Kian K2 Simone, yesterday morning. On January 29th, truckers began a blockade at the Coots Sweetgrass International Border Crossing to show support of solidarity with the Freedom Convoy to Ottawa. They, like millions of Canadians, have had enough of vaccine mandates and saw that now was the time to stand. Kian K2 Simone and myself, Sid Fizard, were embedded within this blockade from the moment we arrived until the very end. 
On May 26th, we'll be bringing you our exclusive coverage from the inside with our new documentary, Trucker Rebellion, the story of the Coots blockade. Get out the only way I'm leaving is in a cruiser. To watch Trucker Rebellion, the story of the Coots blockade, head to truckerdocumentary.com. Not only will you be able to view it there and donate to our independent journalism, you'll also be able to buy tickets for a live viewing in theater as we premiere this exclusive documentary with members of our Rebel team in none other than Calgary, Alberta. You know what the mainstream media said about the truckers. Now, see the truth for yourself. So joining me now from his home office for now in Calgary is my friend and um, successful documentary filmmaker, Kian Simone. Kian, thanks for joining me on the show. Hello, Sheila. Thanks for having me. Always a blessing to be on here. Oh, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> now, I wanted to have you on the show because uh, you're just ripping it up out there. And um, before I get into the things that you're working on, um, and I know we've talked about this before when you were on the show before, but your journey to Rebel News and then to the place where you are now within the company, it's kind of interesting, but it's also the story of all of us <laughs> who work at Rebel News. We just sort of uh, really have a story to tell inside of us. And Ezra Levant just plucks us out of obscurity and uh, lets us, you know, he sees potential in so many people that maybe they don't see in themselves. And so why don't you tell us, how you came to be uh, a rebel. Yeah, actually, uh, I give a lot of credit to that of uh, what we famously call K1. Yeah. Um, he had the same name as me, Kian. So I would, uh, my dad showed me his work and I was like, I want to do that. Like, I, I think I can do that. And I kind of just went through it in my head and I was like, well, I'm not really comfortable on camera, but I'm really good with one. And uh, I'm, I find myself to be a creative person and I figured I'd, uh, give it a venture. So I started doing things on my own. And at the time I was working in a warehouse at Leon's. I was like, screw this. I can't do this anymore. So I started looking for jobs, looking for work, camera, or just anywhere in the industry. And uh, I saw that Lincoln and Mocha worked at Rebel. And I went to school with them. I was in their class in college. And I never spoke a word to either of them. Never, not once, like not even a hello. And uh, I just messaged them. I was like, hey, do you remember me to Lincoln? He's like, yeah, man, how's it going? I'm like, really good, dude. I just jumped right into it. I was like, dude, get me a job. I was like, just get me in. And it's it just started from right there. He talked to uh, Efron and boom, I'm in. But <laughs> all this, weird... I know it is so weird. Um, and all of this sort of unfolded in Ontario, but now you're in Alberta. So how did that happen? Yeah, so uh, I was always looking at it. Um, I was living with my dad at the point, uh, you know, we're just living together, two guys. It's uh, it's super fun, but it's not sustainable and I can't bring a girl home. So I was uh, with my girlfriend, now fiance. Um, and I was like, we got to do something. We got to figure something out. And we're looking in Toronto at to rent and it's just not possible. You're looking at like $2,500 for someone's basement that looks like they lock people up inside of it. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'd rather live with my dad and be a weirdo. But uh <laughs> They locked up my Walmart in my small town of Bradford, Ontario. They, uh, you couldn't buy non-essential items, which is clothes. I don't buy clothes at Walmart, but uh, you couldn't. So I was like, I'm out of here. And the next day I uh, said I'm moving to Calgary. And the day after that I moved. 
I asked my girlfriend, I was like, you want to come with me? She said, sure. We got a place on the way out. Like while we were driving, we we're looking at apartments. It was just. So you didn't have anywhere to go. You just decided wherever I go, it's got to be better than here. And yeah. ended up in Calgary. Calgary is, I've always wanted to live in Alberta. That's my favorite, favorite place. I've been here twice before, before this. And uh, it's the people that brought me here, not just the prices of the the apartments it's the people it's you walk down and people actually smile at you which you don't get in toronto unless you have something on your face <laughs> now uh ever since you got to uh to calgary we just sort of threw you right into everything i think your first week on the job or maybe even your first day on the job we had you sleeping in pastor art Poloski's church because we thought the cops were going to break in it's so funny. We I was supposed to start on May 3rd and our, uh, our COO, E10, messaged me. He said, uh, you want to work on the 1st? I was like, well, yeah, I'd love to. It's a Saturday. He's like, okay, uh, go to this church. And he sent me the location. I, I knew nothing about the situation. You know, like I, I've just, I was in a different world and I was like, okay. Um, I go there and there's a huge protest at the church. And I'm meeting Art Pawlowski for the first time. I was like, wait, I have seen you this is five minutes from my house. What the heck? And then, uh, yeah. So it's three days after that where, um, I, I was sleeping in the church. What was it? Two days, two nights, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's an experience I'll never forget. It's uh, it wasn't the best experience. It was the best in different ways and journalistic ways, but I think, uh, human rights wise, <laughs> it was freezing <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> I, I just remember that and thinking, what are we doing? What, what are we doing to this kid? But he seemed so eager. I just remember thinking, he seems so eager to be there when the cops violate the rights of this pastor, that he's willing to sleep on an air mattress in a place that could or could not be haunted. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't many things that I wouldn't do to, to tell the truth, show the truth, see what, show what happens. I think now that's I, why I fit in. Yeah, it is. And I think that's a great segue, by the way, look at you being a journalist into, uh, you know, really telling not just the other side of the story, but as you say, the truth. And I wanted to have you on because you have a brand new documentary. It, world premiere is Thursday night in Calgary, but it's about the truckers as they went to Coots. Um, some truckers went all the way to Ottawa um, to protest Justin Trudeau's remaining COVID mandates, but not just Justin Trudeau's, Doug Ford's, everyone's remaining COVID mandates. But some didn't go all the way to Ottawa. Some stayed in Alberta and went south to the border at Coots. And so did you. And I'll never yep. forget that phone call. It was cold. There was a storm all across the province. You have a really tiny car because you're from Ontario and we'll catch you up with getting a bigger vehicle eventually. Um, but uh, you and Sid Fizard just jumped in your little car, drove in a snowstorm to Coots and there you stayed for weeks. Well, uh, you brought up the phone call. I think I remember exactly how it went. Yeah. I think it's uh, Sheila. I think we're going to be here for a few days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we we went the first night and we knew we were sleeping there. We knew that we would just go late at night and, and maybe the next day just tell the entire story because be there from the morning until the night, see what happens. And uh, it was that day, <clears throat> yeah, that snowstorm hit and my car was just blocked in by more trucks that showed up. Yeah. 
And then uh, I, I was actually on the phone with you while someone said, hey, there's a bunch of RCMP coming. Yeah. And then just naturally, you're like, okay, well, let's just wait. Let's wait for the facts. It's, everybody says it every single time, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I calmed down a bit. You calmed me down. And then uh, we got off the phone and he shows me a damn video of it. There is 47 RCMP officers with big tactical trucks on the way. I'm like, okay, well, I can't really refute that. And they blocked us off. They blocked us in. And that's when the second phone call hit where Sheila, I think we're going to be here for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so glad you were because during the time that you guys were there, what the politicians were saying about the truckers, in particular, Jason Kenney, who got a lot of things wrong, um, accusing the truckers of, you know, assaulting police officers and and uh, closing the border sometimes when the border wasn't closed. They were letting commercial trucks through um, and the media was getting it wrong. And even, you know, even the uh, the police at some points were getting it wrong. Um, so I, I'm so glad that you were there. Um, tell us, you know, we sent you just there to do the news or you sent yourself and said, Sheila, I'm going to, to do the news. <laughs> um, but what inspired you? While you were there, you just decided sort of on the on the spot, there's a bigger story here that I cannot tell in just, you know, 240 seconds of things that are ending up on Twitter every day, which uh, you owned this story for sure doing yeah. that. But what made you think that there was something bigger, a bigger narrative that you had to get on the record? Well, I think it was just the fact that it, it was a border, right? You know, agree agree with it or not. It, it is critical infrastructure and it involves two countries now. And uh, our counterpart in America is much bigger than us. So when I was started uh, just saying things on Twitter, because there was no service to do reports. Yeah. And it's something that the mainstream media was on right away as well. Uh, good for them, at least in some aspects that they did speak about it, but they weren't speaking about it properly. So me being there and being able to post what's happening in live time, um, it got a lot of traction. And I, you know, I was, my phone was just constantly vibrating and vibrating. I'm like, what the heck is happening? I'm like, wait, America is sharing this. And all of America shared it. I'm like, this is a huge story. This is, yeah. this is, this is bigger than just a convoy. This is, and then that's when I was able to start talking to the actual truckers. And, you know, they're, they're talking to me. I'm just a 23 year old kid and they're crying to me about their family, can't feed their family. I'm like, I can't just do a report on this and say, okay, finished. Thanks for your, uh, thanks for fighting for freedom and, and doing what you do. I'm going home now. And I think, I think from before my last point about having no service also played a big part in uh, making this a documentary. Cause yeah. even if we wanted to get reports up, we couldn't, there's yeah. no, no uploading anything you could do. You could upload a tweet and it would take five minutes. So imagine trying to upload a five gigabyte yeah. video. Right. So it, it was just impossible. And I think that, it's just, oh, sorry. That's okay. Uh, I think. Is the Amazon there? <laughs> <laughs> Barks at everything. Um, I think just it, it, it brings it down to earth when you make a documentary and you say like, this is a, this is a, a full production. This is, this is something that we spent a lot of time on. We, of course we were there for me nine days and said what, like 16, that animal. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think it just it just shows the entire experience in full. When when if we were to do something in twelve minutes, I'm sure people want to see it and and it would it would get out there. But 
I just, I just think a documentary just makes it more special for everybody involved. And it also helps, like you said, mainstream media was getting it wrong. Kenny was getting it wrong. I think it was the best karma for Kenny who stood up for the truckers when they went to Ottawa and then they were in his own backyard and it wasn't, wasn't the same. Wasn't the same. You know, um, when you were in Coots, and I asked this question because I'm a lifelong Albertan, so I know this about us. Um, but this is the kind of thing when I see it, this is the kind of thing that might only happen in Alberta, where you see farmers who usually are just tending the fields and they're sort of too busy feeding the world to worry about politics and civil disobedience. But frequently there comes a time in this province where it is the farmers who stand up, engage in civil disobedience and make change. It's always the normal people, the working man saving the whole entire society from itself sometimes. Um, I guess I want your Ontarian perspective of, okay, so now you've got the truckers, then the farmers show up with their heavy equipment. And some of that stuff is, you know, three quarters of a million dollars, and they're willing to risk their heavy equipment on the border. The province could seize it at any time, tow it away, wreck it when you tow it. Um, They did that. And then the cowboys show up with horses and then everybody ends up up the road in Milk River. It was like, Almost all of Southern Alberta converged in two places, in Coots and at Milk River, to protest the government they likely voted for. I think there's two parts to that. Um, there's there's one extremely heated answer and one of uh, answer of community. I'll start with the heated one. It's more controversial. Like I said before, agree with it or not, it's a border. It's critical infrastructure. Yeah. It's illegal to do that. But we're speaking Alberta here. They know to hit them in their pockets. They know not to drive around in circles and say, we're mad. So you're going to get that. If if you're, if you're messing around with people's lives, they're going to push back. And I'm, I'm I'm happy to, to report there was no violence. Yeah. Right. There was no, nobody hurt each other. It was, we're going to get you in your pockets was, was what they, what they said is why they did it. And then the community aspect. Yeah. There was what 15,000 people in Milk River at one point. And then over a, tens of thousands of people that it went for miles that that lineup and it was it was families you know i would walk around and i would see kids using the firewood and building forts out of it like these aren't terrorists no they're not domestic terrorists they're not they're not militias they're not they're not these these people that the main the mainstream media painted them out to be they're they're hard-working families they're hurt families and they're children they're kids who want to have be able to have a future so the parents were there fighting for it with burgers and hot dogs yeah and burgers a yeah burgers hot dogs barbecue and, they, and there's sort of that other side of the story where you know these are border communities and they're so small that sometimes the other half of your community the other half of the resources your community relies on is across the border in the united mm-hmm. states and instantly they're cut off from that like i know especially in southern manitoba when they closed the border to the unvaccinated, some kids in Canada played on the American hockey team because that's where the rink was. And it cut them off from their friends. People commuted across the border every single day and came back. And because of the vaccine mandates at the border, they couldn't do that. And I just want to give context to when you say 15,000 people were in Milk River, on a good day, (laughs) uh, Milk River is about 825 people. 
So that shows just how much the population swelled in Southern Alberta to support the truckers. And I think that played a real role in Jason Kenney being shown the door because that was one of the, it still remains, one of the most, if not the most conservative place in the entire country, that Southern Alberta section. Uh, people settled it for freedom. They settled it. They came there so that they didn't have the government telling them what to do. And now the government was not only telling them what to do, but dividing them from their friends and neighbors based on the vaccine mandate. And I think that's why so many people just said, you know what? They are breaking the law, but this is civil disobedience. They're doing it peacefully. And I want to throw my name in my face to support them. I was speaking to one guy on my second last day there and he was new. Uh, he snuck in um, past the border, uh, sorry, past the blockade in Milk River. I was like, where are you from? He's, uh, he's new. Just, just curious of where people are coming from. He said Grand Prairie. Yeah. It's a long drive. I'm, Holy cow. I'm, I'm new here. I'm like, isn't that like 11 hours away? He's like, give or take. Yeah. He's yeah. like, you just came down here. He's like, yeah, I, I saw you on Twitter and, uh, I, I wanted to come show my support for, for the truckers. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> 11 hours. I was like, okay, that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Now, um, we should tell everybody the name of your documentary and how they can get tickets. The first showing has sold out through uh, just overwhelming response from people who want to be a part of the world premiere. So we have a second showing. So tell people how they can get those tickets. And I want to, I've seen the documentary a couple times um, already, and there's footage in there that no matter how closely people follow your coverage at Coots and Sid's coverage at Coots, there's footage that they have not seen yet. Um, compelling, beautiful footage that uh, never made it into a news story because those have to be quick and snappy. Uh, so if they want to see, as they say, the full story, the only way to get it is in this documentary. Yeah, we have all the negotiations in there. We were journalists inside of an RCMP negotiations. Like, how yeah. freaking cool is that? Um, yeah, so we have all that stuff. Yeah, like a lot of stuff from Milk River. And if you want to come see the second show, June 1st in Calgary, Alberta, go to truckerdocumentary.com. Um, I think it's playing at the Canyon Meadows Cinemas. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Yep. So we will also, for those people who are curious, you will be there. Uh, Sid Fizard will be there. He was also at the border blockade. Adam Sos will be there. He was over at uh, Milk River. Mocha Bezergen will be there. He was also over at Milk River. Uh, and we've got trucker lawyer Chad Williamson and his <laughs> trucker lawyer sideburns. They're, they're going to be there. I'm most excited for him to come. <laughs> you know, it's it's he's he's the perfect guy for the job. By the end of his time at the blockade he did look like he should be in a western like he rolled <laughs> down there looking like a lawyer yeah a cat dad and he left there looking like a a cowboy that was for sure <laughs> um now that's not the only thing you've been working on you've really again from a leon's warehouse to a born again albertan to a viral, successful documentary filmmaker. Uh, tell us about your docu-series with our UK reporter. So this is sort of like an international docu-series, um, yep. transatlantic, I guess, docu-series with our UK reporter, Lewis Brackpool. 
about the World Economic Forum, which I think is absolutely timely. People are really hungry for this information um, because, as people may know, the World Economic Forum is underway right now in Davos, Switzerland. We have a Rebel News team that's there um, right now, and people can follow all of their reports at wefreports.com and support their, their trip there. But in advance of that, you and Lewis we're digging down into just how truly sinister this organization really is while they paint themselves as just these benevolent keepers of humanity. Yeah. Well, uh, it's actually kind of a funny story how it started. Uh, it actually all started out with our web editor, Dave. Um, we were talking one night, we were just playing video games, just doing what we do. <laughs> and uh, you just, I, I sent a picture of the book, COVID, the great reset written by Klaus Schwab. I was like, Hey, I got that book. My dad got it for me. I never opened it. I was, I'm not touching that thing until later. Like I just got a lot to deal with right now. So I right. just had it on the shelf and uh, he's like, yeah, but you should give it a read. I was like, okay. Well, read through it a little bit and like, yeah, there's, this is cool. And Dave's like, yeah, we should do something on this. So it, it, that's sat for a few months, you know, yeah. we're, we're busy. We, that's a, it's a big project and we, we just started it two months ago. We just started picking away at it. And then, uh, Lewis expressed his want to to be a part of something um, bigger than just reports, uh, just to do on the side. You know, if we have an extra hour um, instead of what doing what guys do, play video games or something, let's read a book and put down something. And uh, I think I just used all the skills that I've learned over the past two years at Rebel. And I was like, well, I'll produce this thing. I'll uh, I'll lay a foundation of the script. And Lewis was like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll read the book too. And we'll get, we'll get some ideas down. So, all three of us just kind of put our heads in and uh, just it, honestly, Sheila, I got to be honest with you. We, we spent more time reading the book and on the script. I did that video in like three days yeah, over a weekend. And it, it wasn't supposed to be like this big thing. We were just like, yeah, let's do something special for our rebel viewers. Let's yeah. just show them what the great reset is. And uh, then Dave's like, well, let's do a docuseries. Let's go through all of them. Let's go through all the resets. I'm like, okay, let's see how the first one goes. And then uh, I did it over that weekend. I was like, I think this is really good. Um, I sent it over and everybody's like, yep, this is it. This is the yep. thing. And then, so we we waited a month. That was like a month ago. We waited a month. We said, we might as well wait for the World Economic Forum. Get it out the day before. And uh, that's, that's when everybody will be wanting it. And yeah, like you said, it went kind of viral. Yeah. Happy yeah. with it. Yeah. And you're getting some international attention over it, which I think is incredible. Um, but at the same time, you aren't, this is not really, you know, the other side might accuse you of, oh, this is a manipulative hit piece. You actually are just using their own words and the things that they say, the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, the founder of it, and everybody who's involved, I call them the vampires familiars of Klaus <laughs> Schwab. Um, you're really only using their public statements. They have not tried to hide any of this stuff. You're mm -hmm. using their public statements and just showing people, this is what they're saying they're going to do. You need to know this. You you sort of just lay it on the viewer and the viewer can decide how to interpret the information you're giving them. The hardest part, you know, wasn't... It, the hardest part was getting this, getting it all into 25 minutes. The easy part was literally typing out Klaus Schwab and then blank, whatever you want to know. And then yeah. there's a there's a there's a clip of him saying it. 
there's one thing in the documentary that isn't in the book and nowhere on the World Economic Forum site. And that is that Klaus Schwab started the World Economic Forum from a CIA-backed Harvard program that Henry Kissinger was running. And it's true. And then all you got to do, Klaus Schwab, Harvard, and there's a clip of him saying it. Yeah. So it's it, it was really just the editing was just the, the tedious part of putting it together in a story that makes sense. Everything yeah. else was just, just like you said, they've said it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, in, the, it's in the book. He wrote about it. It's not yeah. a conspiracy. There's no hit piece. Yeah. You used what they've said and just showed the world um, because the, I think these people think that they're only talking to each other when they say these things. You know, the elites are only talking to each other and the only people who are going to read their stupid books are other elites and they all agree with each other. But the normals who have to live with the consequences of their crazy ideas for society, uh, they think that we are not going to be interested in what they're doing. We're happy to let them shepherd us through uh, the next few years or in, I guess in perpetuity. And they also think that even if we are outraged by the things that they are going to do to us, that uh, we're not smart enough to understand how they are looking out for us. And we are not smart enough to make up our own minds about things. Well, there's, there's, there's a part to that, that they don't express. And it's the part that they've admitted that they've already lost and that they're desperate. They're, they're, they're going extreme. They're yeah. out in the open with it. 2020, the Great Reset, that, um, that annual themed symposium that they had, it was, it was out of desperation. And it's in the book, of course, that they've admit their loss and it's complexity. They're, they're, they lost by complexity of human beings. Everybody asks like, oh, what can we do? Um, you know, some, some people get extreme with what, what they want to do about it and, that we don't have to do it. It's they declared a war on humanity. And I know that's, that's a crazy thing to say, but it's true. They declared yeah. a war on our life and our, the, the, the way that we live and the way that we fight back is just being more human. Yeah. And they don't, they don't want that. They, they, our complexity of there's 7 billion people on this planet that they want to run. There's 1% of them. 1% of the 1% goes to these meetings and because we're so complex and 7 billion people have different wants and needs that they can't, they know that they can't um, mitigate us. They know that they can't put us into groups. So they, they'll try and they'll try and they'll try and they'll say, you will eat the bugs and you will live in a pod. You will own nothing and be happy, but I, we won't. I don't think we will. I, I really, I, I'm not coming out of this like in the dark yeah. after doing all this research. Like there's, there's no way that it can work. There is no way. Well, I think that that sort of tips her hand to the things that they really want to do. Because if you look at the things that they really want to do, so much of it is stripping away the humanity of humankind, where they say, okay, well, we want to give you a microchip in your brain, and we want to isolate you from each other, and we want to change the way you communicate with each other, not face-to-face. -face. It's taking away, they realize that they are up against the human will to be free. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? You take away the humanity um, if you want to control those people. But I think even these um, oligarchs, because they really are, uh, big tech or power oligarchs, they know that every great tyranny falls because there is the human desire 
to be free. It's that thing that we are inherently born with. Um, it's the reason we know slavery is wrong um, because humans are born to be free. That's It's granted to them by virtue of being born alive, a human being. Um, people may find a religious viewpoint on this. You know, you're free because you're born in the image of the creator um, or just because you are. Yeah, because you're free. Yeah. Um, but even the oligarchs know that they are up against this thing that nobody in the history of humanity has ever been able to control. Let's look at the numbers of like how many people are on actual, actually on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, where all these ideas are, are talked about in this like kind of hive mind of all of our consciousness that we think everybody's on there in the conversation, but 200 million people on Twitter is actually not a lot of people. Yeah. And just kind of spread that out across the other platforms. There's so many people on this earth that have an opinion and have an idea. And like I said before, have a complexity to them that the world economic forum and these people can't control. And like you said, they have a desire to be free and we haven't heard them because they're not in our little echo chamber of, even though that we can fight with each other online and we can, make docu-series about them and make do reports on them and go to Davos and, and say, Hey, like with the, with the mic in their face, but there's so many people in this world that they have no chance against that desire yeah. to be free. Like you said, now tell us how we can find your docu-series. Uh, the first part is out right now, how people can support your important work because all of your journalism is independent, unlike the mainstream media who are currently at Davos, uh, not reporting on the crazy, crazy things that are unfolding there. Um, so tell people how they can see your work and support your work, please. Yes, it's exposetheresetcom Uh There you'll find a documentary, the, the first episode, and you'll be able to donate to uh, even if it's just buy me a coffee while I read the book for you because I'll <laughs> yes. read it for you and I'll, I'll do it for you. I just, I just ask you to watch. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, now, before I let you go, because you are, besides being an incredible documentary filmmaker, you are also an editor at the company. And I, I know you're just like me. You're like, ah, my work is piling up. Um, <laughs> uh, tell us what sort of things you're working on next. Actually, I think it is um, really zeroing in on this Great Reset docuseries. I, I think that uh, there there is five resets that we've got to go through, technological, economic, environmental, geopolitical, and societal. And there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. There's, that's, it's, it's, all of, it's all of the world compacted into five little pillars. So I think that's a big, uh, a big project that we've got to get into over the next coming months. Um, there is a few more documentaries that I would like to make in the meantime. I think, like? uh, <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say it here. I would like to go to Hannah for five days and I would like to speak to all of the people who were directly impacted by the NDP's extreme radical policies that took out what 15% of all jobs of this tiny town of 2,500 people where the suicide rate spiked, where they lost. And this is the craziest part is that okay, they lost their biggest economical value of this town, but there was another one. There was a second. It was tourism. It's a very old place to go and you can go there. You can go look at the mines. You can, the now shut down mines. You can go look at all the historical stuff at the train station there. And then what happened two years after they shut down all the coal was COVID. So no one's going to be a tourist in Hannah, Alberta during COVID. Yeah. So that's, that's gone too. So what do they have left? 
They have yeah. a hardware store and they have Nickelback. Yeah. I've been to the hardware store in Hannah. The mayor <laughs> owns it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah they, when people talk about tourism in Hannah, it, it's a thing. The, the coal mine itself created a lake, a summer resort that everybody <laughs> uses. They use the cooling uh, lake from the coal mine and it's this fun resort. And because the water is warmer, uh, the fishing is awesome. But now the coal mine's gone. So I think the that deserves a, a. I think that deserves, like I said, a special, well-produced project that people can actually learn about what happened there, rather than going yeah. on CBC and saying, "Oh yeah, they're shutting down the coal mine effective this date." Sorry. It's the start of a just transition, they say. Just, yeah, yeah, just transition into homelessness and into a sleeping bag, sleeping on the street. Um, but, you know, people might say, well, it's just Hannah. It's just a small town of 2,500 people. But this is the war on fossil fuels and is being replicated in cities and towns, not just all across the country, but all across the world, where outside of the urban centers, the people who do the work and the labor to support the urban centers so that you can flip on your light switch, those people are being absolutely devastated by green energy policies. Um, they're the collateral damage in all of this. And uh, I think it's wonderful that our born again Albertan would humanize <laughs> this town. Uh, K2, I'll let you go. I'll let you get back to work. Uh, thank you so much for the important work that you do and for advocating for Albertans. Um, you know, it's funny. So many people from Alberta are actually from somewhere else, but like you, they fall in love with this place and uh, our desire like everybody else in the world to be free um, would just, I think sometimes we fight a little harder than everybody else for that yeah. desire to be free and the desire to just be left alone. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. K2. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to check back in with you and tell the world uh, what you're doing next. Thanks boss. Thanks for thanks. having me on. You got it. portion of the show where we let you have your say we're not the mainstream media so we don't take your money and then shut you out of the conversation we welcome your viewer feedback now sometimes I take my viewer comments from my email and that's probably the easiest way for you to send me a comment because it lands right in my email inbox my email if you would like your comment right on air is sheila at rebelnews.com and in the subject line, please put gun show letters so that I can easily find your comment because, as you know, I probably receive hundreds of emails per day. Anyway, this comment doesn't actually come from my email, but it comes from Rumble. Let's take a look. It is on my interview with Morian Pools, the Dutch filmmaker, I spoke to last week about his new documentary film, Pan Damned, that is being censored by big tech. It is available on his Rumble channel if you'd like to see it for yourself. Now, Obu Tan, I hope I'm saying that right, writes to me and says, people must be made to realize that they have been conditioned to believe what is seen on TV. The scarier and unbelievable it is, the more they grasp onto it in a terror reaction. Wanting to believe that a heroic person or organization has made efforts to protect them, especially those they voted for. Boy, that is an excellent comment. There's a lot of tribalism happening out there. And we actually see this in and around the vaccines. We saw the very same people saying they would never get a vaccine developed by Trump 
publicly shaming people now for not getting vaccinated because their team now is calling for vaccinations and forced vaccinations and mandatory vaccinations in workplaces and for travel. Anyway, let's keep reading. They don't want to believe they've been lied to and made a victim. That greed rules the great powers of our nations. This is what they refuse to do. If they opened their eyes, opened their perspective, they would see that they have been betrayed. Getting them to look objectively at things is the challenge. Getting them to realize their heroes are possibly villains is going to be quite the poison pill for most. But the truth must be presented no matter what. As I said in my interview with Moran Pools, it is unkind to tell people a sweet, sweet lie because it makes them feel better. Truth is always, always the best policy. And it is unfortunate that a lot of people just refuse to see it because people don't like to admit that they were wrong, that they bet on the wrong horse from the very beginning. So they remain in their delusion so that they feel right and so that they feel smart. But we cannot move on from everything that happened in the last two years until until there is a full accounting for what the powers that be got wrong and they are made to answer for the things and the damage that they did to normal people well everybody that's the show for tonight thank you so much for tuning in i'll see everybody back here in the same time in the same place next week and remember don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think